What the F is brought to you by listeners like you, thanks to our Patreon members, patreon.com slash whattheif. Go there now and find out how you can become a member and get all kinds of cool rewards. And thank you for supporting our mission for science education and science fun. Welcome to What the If. Retro episode edition. Not retrograde. In fact, oh, is it... no, we're, we're recording in black and yeah. white, actually, as part of the, the retro right. edition. Yeah. Somebody um, has a crank camera. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do they say? Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. Jones and the ships at sea. <laughs> <clears throat> Our fireside chat. Um, very special treat today. Uh, uh, we are celebrating a uh, landmark achievement in the history of What the If. We uh, have passed um, over the core, over the five years of uh, the show being on the air, we have just passed one million plays. And I am putting my pinky to my mouth in Dr. Evil yeah, fashion. Yeah. Yes, one million plays. Um, with me, uh, as always, are my co-hosts. I'm Philip Shane, documentary filmmaker, by the way. And uh, with me are uh, Gabby Panicia from Rockefeller University. Gabby, how are you? Virologist. I, yes. Yeah, I'm doing good. Uh, I, I've been running around on assignment, so you probably haven't heard my voice in a couple of weeks. Oh. <laughs> um, but everything's good. I'm, I'm actually pretty excited to do an experiment. It's It's one of those things where... If the answer is yes, the implications are huge. Wow. It's like it kicks the doors of my thesis wide open. But the answer could wow, also just be exciting. no. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I, my poor boyfriend dealt with me like once I realized I was sitting like on a, on a train and, and thinking about like, oh, but that would mean this. And then that would mean this. And then I like came home and I was basically like the Pepe Sylvia meme where I was just like connecting like frantic dots. Like I looked feral trying to explain <laughs> the science to him. And then I was like, yeah, but I mean, the answer could be no. Like, it could just not work this way. Um, so we'll see. Maybe maybe that uh, feral mm -hmm. energy returns a couple weeks from now when the experiment's done. Um, or I just continue as normal because the answer was no. <laughs> That's a pretty good summary of research in general, I would say. Oh, it yeah. Could be extraordinary. Yeah. Might be nothing. And most things <laughs> fail anyway. So it's like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not getting my hopes up too much, but it uh, could be cool. Could be cool. So was this like, did you have like a eureka moment on the subway or something? Uh, no. So I think kind of in typical fashion is that a lot of really cool science gets done when you talk to somebody who's not in your field. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I was talking with somebody, I mean, who's in my lab and she's in my field, she's a virologist, but she, um, she works in a very different system than I do. And so, I mean, without giving too much away of just because, you know, granted it might not work, who knows? <laughs> Um, she was like, she was just basically asking me like, oh, have you thought of this? Which is very much a question that she would ask given like the stuff that she works on, but was not at all in the line of thinking that I had been using. And it was definitely mm. like a paradigm shift in the way that I was thinking about the thing that I was approaching. Um, and so if it turns out to be really cool and that sort of shift in my thought process is confirmed, um, I think it really changes the story that I might want to tell for my PhD. Wow. 
That's very cool. But who knows? The answer could be no. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That could be good. I don't know. That just seems like a great title for an autobiography. The The answer answer could could be no. no. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Also with us, you are hearing the wise words of uh, Professor Matthew Stanley from New York University, historian of science. How are you, sir? Have you had in your back in your science career? Although maybe it happens in your history. Mm-hmm. Of, yeah, actually, let me ask that. In your history of science career, have you had a eureka moment before? Yeah, um, it's sometimes uh, you make a mental connection, but sometimes you find like the secret document um, that, uh, that, that suddenly opens everything up. Um, yeah. And I've had a, a few of those, uh, one of which was actually on the, the back of a piece of paper, mm. like the, the interesting, nominally the interesting part was on the front of the piece of paper. And then I turned it over and I said, huh, what's that? <laughs> and then that changed a lot of things for me. So that's one of the joys of working in the archive that you can't really replicate um, working yeah. online. And was that's that cool? Was that Einstein related? Do I remember you telling me this? Uh, yeah. It was, yeah. Um, it was uh, a, a mysterious letter um, that shouldn't have been where it was, and then the, on the back. And I guess actually that's the the chain of research that led to Einstein's war oh, in wow. the end. Um, sort of finding these unexpected connections between people. That's super. That cool. is so cool. That's super cool. Yeah. Um, we'll have to do an if on that one day. What if something? Okay. What if I hadn't turned? Yeah, over or <laughs> what if the answer was no? Yeah. <laughs> well, in what regards if, to like a big discovery, what if the answer yeah. was no? What, what if, if gravitational d- waves? What if Darwin came back from his sailing on the Beagle and he was just like, "Nap, nah, turned out not to be true." <laughs> yeah, it was all creationism. Yeah. Yep, creationism was right. Um, so uh, yeah, but now we're doing a special a special show today, and this was Gabby. This was your idea. So uh, explain to us, what was your, uh, your eureka moment that led to this concept we're doing today? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it wasn't a eureka moment exactly. I think it was a sort of cause for celebration. Uh, we passed <laughs> one million listens on the podcast, which is super cool. Um, and so... One million. Yeah, one million. <laughs> and so that sort of made me think, well, we should do something special for this. And I was thinking of, you know, can we play off of one million or or maybe we could just do something that sort of goes back to the start when we were not at one million. Um, and so the idea was to pick an if from our really early days. And, you know, I say our, but I wasn't even there yet. Um, so pick an er- if from the early days and redo it. Take a path not taken um, explore it now with yours truly now that the show is armed with a biologist and uh, maybe see where it goes. Right on, right on. So we went uh, this morning, we sort of scrolled back through the earliest episodes and um, there's a bunch of them. And uh, there's a funny story. I'll tell a funny story sometime about people have often said to me, why is the first episode when people who do scroll back and, and kudos to you. So some of our listeners, many more of our listeners than I would have ever thought are completionists, I say. And there are some of mm-hmm. you who come to the show new, you listen to an episode or two, and you're like, this is really great. And you go back to episode one, or you go back and look for episode one, and you're going to listen to all the episodes from the beginning till now. There's like, how many we have? Like two, more than 250 episodes. And um, so uh, uh, 
but I ended up, I, when I realized people were doing that, I got embarrassed at one point about the quality of our first 10 episodes, and I took them <laughs> offline, and then I slowly felt better about it and put them back online. So they're all back online in slightly different order. But anyway, we have a bunch of early episodes. And uh, Matt, you and I were noticing this morning, we were looking at them, we were a bit avant-garde back in those days. Had, Apparently so. Yeah, I don't remember kind of our, our David Lynch period, right. but um, <laughs> I guess it was yes. a thing. Yes. Yeah. Um, so by the way, we're gonna be, uh, we have had some nice, really nice um, listener mail come in this week. And so at the end of the show, I just want to give a little tease. We'll be, we'll be hearing from uh, some of our listeners at the end of the show. They're very nice. Um, and they've got some great ideas for ifs, which we'll be doing in the future. So stay tuned for that. Uh, but right now, so the early episode that we picked um, to, we decided to, what Gabby's idea was, let's redo the if. You know, Gabby's here now. Gabby, Gabby joined us a couple of years in, and uh, so she wasn't here for these early episodes. Matt and I have uh, total amnesia about these early days. They sort of say, right, if you remember those days, you weren't there. Isn't that what they say about the 60s? <laughs> <laughs> right. um, and uh, I also, I, I confess, honestly, as soon as we record an episode, I immediately forget everything about it. It's one of these strange things. Um, but uh, so we looked back, and here, I'm just going to read the description, and then we will announce the if. Um, this episode was called Gee, Your Universe Smells Terrific. And the, uh, the cover art, I must say, I've always been pretty, a bit proud of my cover art, even in the early mm -hmm. days. It's very impressive. And these days I have AI doing it. I do it with mid-journey, only in the past couple episodes, and that's quite fun. Back, back then I, I cut and paste things using Photoshop. So I pasted, a, or I got, a, I don't know, there's a picture of a whale swimming in space, leaving the earth and the moon. And uh, the description from the website, and this is all, we haven't listened to it because we want to do this fresh, but uh, the brief description on the website about this episode says, imagine if space was breathable, if you could swim in it, fly in it, go anywhere you want, wearing only your bathing suit or your birthday suit. We were a bit racy Ooh. back in those days. Click, we'd do anything for clickbait. Um, would you swim to Jupiter? Would you paddle to Alpha Centauri? How would life have evolved if it could swim, crawl, or fly into space? We ride whales to the moon. We tremble at the sight of a giant plankton sphere swimming around the sun. My goodness. Grab your inflatable donut and come along to the worlds of what the if. And so this week, once again, in celebration of our one million views, we ask, what the if? Space was breathable. Ah, I, I sense Darth Vader coming into this show at some point or too long. <laughs> what if space were breathable? What if it were like the ocean, not the empty void that we see? But breathable. Now, one of our first questions would become, as, as we do, you know, we define our ifs. And so, um, is it liquid? Is it air? What do we, what do we think? Uh, in the cover art there, I guess because we had whales, we were imagining that it was somewhat liquidish. But I actually think if you were going to swim, it's breathable, it's not really air. If it's breathable well, for us. I mean, I, don't, I mean, it's not really water. It, it would be some sort of air, perhaps a very dense else, but air. I mean, because that, that was what I was going to ask, right? Yeah. If it's if space is some substance that is not necessarily breathable, 
but can be swam in and it's like water. Mm, I mean, mm. dissolved oxygen mm -hmm. is a thing. That it's not yeah, breathing yeah. in mm -hmm. with lungs exactly, but, you know, gills are essentially lungs for a fish and right. they can extract oxygen from water. So, right. but if we want specifically us, us uh, air breathers to be able to swim through space, then yeah, I mean, well, the gas. swim, there it would still be, well, uh, gravity is a real question. That'll be interesting to talk about. Oh, yeah. But if we're imagining it just starting out very simply, if we say, well, there's no gravity or, you know, it could, it could still be air. Um, I mean, the interesting thing is if it was liquid, that would mean it would be liquid all the way down to the surface of the earth. And the earth would essentially be in an aquarium, so to speak. Therefore, we would, in other words, whatever. Or it would be very strange if, if space were liquid, but the Earth, for some reason, were an air bubble. I suppose that's possible. Or a terrarium. Yeah, totally yeah. doable. Right? Yeah, terrarium. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Matt, I, I, uh, first tell us, there, this, is a, this is a crazy theory, obviously. Not even a theory. <laughs> it's just a, a nuts, nutso idea. However, the idea of space being filled with something was prevalent for a long time. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So the, the notion that, as, as the word suggests, space is empty um, is a relatively mm. recent innovation. Um, so Aristotle had a, a full universe, the crystalline spheres where everything is bumped up against mm. each other. Um, and even Descartes with a more modern sense of multiple stars and lots of planets and things. Um, thought the universe was a, a plenum, Ooh, um, meaning that was all full of space, mm. full of stuff. Mm. Um, so in between the, the sun and the planets um, was sort of a fine material, very small atoms. Huh. Um, so he would have totally dug um, uh, the swimmable space, yeah. as it were. So they imagined, as, as would seem logical, that essentially the atmosphere in space was the same as it was on Earth. They didn't imagine it. Well, not necessarily the same, but the same kind of thing. Mm, anyway, mm -hmm. um, it's this kind of reasoning that um, emptiness on its own doesn't actually make any sense. Huh. Uh, that the nature of the universe has to be stuff. Yeah. Well, it turned out they were right. I mean, doesn't that goes all the way to um, um, what's his name with, with the the virtual particles, the antimatter, and or uh, oh, what's it? I was going to say the British guy, but they're all British. <laughs> <laughs> It'll come to uh, me. But yeah, that's right. So, so modern modern senses of Pauly, um, Pauly. the vacuum is, is not actually very vacuum. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so uh, then, let's decide what what, what would we uh, suggest? Um, is the how do we for the th for the sake of this thought? Of, oh, you know what? We haven't for those who are joining us on our one millionth play. And someone who's totally new, um, Gabby, you want to help people understand what is, what in the world are we doing here? We've already gone completely off the rails. What is this <laughs> show? Yeah. So what we do is is we pick an if, a one hypothetical thing to change about the universe, and then we run a thought experiment. We sort of take that idea and we follow it out as far as it will go and see what the universe would look like if that you know thing were changed, if that one if were true. Um, how that would have affected, you know, life, the universe, and everything. Um, and it can start off and be a very small question and explode out, or just like this, you know, just start out pretty big to begin with. 
Yes, yeah. And, and Matt, what is it when we say, uh, I often say this to people, and, and, uh, and then afterwards I feel like, do we really do that? But I think we kind of do. We, with that <laughs> we use r- real science to guide our deconstruction or un- our understanding of the uh, bizarre concept. We, uh, yeah, I think in, in the, what is hopefully the, the finest tradition of science fiction, mm-hmm. um, you make a, a, you make a single change and then otherwise keep the universe as it is. Um, so that's an opportunity to, to think through the, the consequences of a particular idea and how the different aspects of scientific understandings of the world fit together. Um, so kind of playing with those, uh, those um, interactions between the imagined and the real helps you understand the real a little bit better. Totally, totally. So, uh, so we're imagining, um, and, and, and sorry, in, in the tradition of science fiction, as you said, in fact, that was sort of the original idea with the show going back to those early days, how did we get started, was uh, I was thinking that um, I always loved it in science fiction, you, I think it was H.G. Wells described it as saying, to write science fiction, you need to start with one big if, and uh, then you just follow the ramifications of that. Um, and so in doing that, you kind of have to decide what exactly so we're world building in a way right and so so we're mm-hmm. deciding now what what how do we want to define what so we've got earth like we can imagine the layers there's earth and then above the earth we've got the air we live we breathe in and then there is somehow does it transition to a liquid is that what we think yeah i mean the the ocean air boundary here on earth seems like a reasonable analogy yeah. right um, I mean, they're both both fluids, um, but because they're different density, um, they don't mix in a particular way. Um, but you can transition from one to the next without, um, I don't know, without outrage. Yeah. So already, this is super wild, and is already we've gone off in a, a different direction than I remember our early our uh, the early version of this being. Uh, so now we, I imagine us being on the ground, and we have the sky above us. And uh, maybe this explains why Elon Musk's magnificent Starship uh, rocket uh, went into a crazy cartwheel yesterday and did all kinds of acrobatics that it was not supposed to do before it had a rapid, unplanned disassembly, as they call it, meaning it blew up in spectacular fashion. Um, but maybe it reached the, the sky, ocean, sky space ocean boundary and uh, got you know disturbed and it blew up. Um, what in the world would that be like? Is it maybe that's where rain comes from? Would this rain come down? From? I mean, it's very strange to imagine that the sky is an ocean. Really well, I imagine this ocean sky has to be. We have to do a little bit of fudging of gravity, yeah. That mm-hmm. <laughs> the ocean sky is not immediately uh, collapsing back through our atmosphere right. and right. Right. crushing the planet. Um, yeah, so I guess one solution to that would be um, if its average density is less than that of air, mm. then it's going to naturally sit up high um, and not come crashing down on us. Uh, so that would be one possibility. And it doesn't need to be a lot thinner. Um, so, you know, if it just, uh, again, an analogy to if you imagine on the top of a mountain, the air is a little bit thinner mm-hmm. than down at the ground. Um, so as long as our space air um, is thinner, um, then it's going to hang out. Um, it's good. 
So it's air or is it liquid? I think this is where we sort of come down and we have to decide. Maybe. Well, I think I would insist that it's a fluid, ah, ah. Um, which just, and, and both both air and water here on the surface of the earth are technically fluids in the sense that they flow. Um, uh, but I don't think it has to be a liquid, but it doesn't have to be a liquid to be um, a fluid. It. it just has to have certain internal properties that let it flow. Fluid it is then. Yes, fluid. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and uh, Gabby, what? How? How would that? Uh, can we imagine? Maybe Matt can help us understand what the possible density of this is. But uh, can we imagine things living in this space fluid? Because that was the first thing that struck me. Was you imagine in our oceans? Oceans are full of life. They used to have more life than they do now. Now they're a bit more on the side of plastic bottles. But uh, um, if space was, you know, could support life, the amount of life in the in the universe would be astounding, terrifying, almost right. If it was, all of space were full of things, so can I mean, I guess breathe? that does depend on your your side of is life rare, right? Is it right. just rare because it happens? You know, some mm, some right. low number of times, but the universe, you know, has so much stuff in it that actually it's very common. Yeah. Um, so. I mean, if it is just nebulously space fluid that is breathable, but there's not actually really anything there, and this is just like Earth life attempting to venture out into breathable space, then it's going to take a hot minute for, I think, stuff to really diversify out there. Um, But if we're imagining this has been, you know, the extant state of everything for a while, that whatever microbes existed on Earth in way, way, way super ancient times that potentially got blasted off the face of the Earth with an asteroid, well, now they can definitely survive in space. Um, So I do think there is, if that's the sort of trajectory we go with, then yeah, there's the opportunity for a lot of space creatures that have had millions of years to adapt to our solar system and our swimmable space. Yeah. All right, cool. So what needs to be in our space fluid for critters to live there, microbes or otherwise. Um, Yeah, so I think this is sort of the interesting thought part of this, right? Because at least, you know, for our thoughts of how microbes existed, discovering like deep sea geothermal vents was a sort of huge turning point. The realization that microbes can utilize a lot of different energy sources. So there are microbes that use what's called mm, chemosynthesis. Okay. So they use chemical reactions. That tends to be your like deep ocean hydrothermal vent ones where the particular array of chemicals coming out of there can be used uh, for energy generation. You have some that generate energy by light. Um, so photosynthetic ones, uh, algae are huge for that. Uh, They're like a huge photosynthetic organism on the planet. Mm. Um, There are also uh, um, radiotrophic um, microorganisms. Sorry, I was going to say bacteria, but they're not always bacteria. Yeah, so there are ones that can utilize Mm. just straight up radiation. And I think at least like fungi and stuff like that have been found a lot in like Chernobyl. Uh, There are specific species of uh, radiation consuming uh, microbes that wow. 
have essentially just been thriving there um, because their energy source is radiation. So I think that there's a lot that could be worked with. Obviously, the sun is kind of right there. Uh, they don't, I, I could imagine that things in space don't have to deal with, you know, cloud cover problems as much. Although maybe if we start getting into the water cycle of space fluid, mm. we'll discover that's not the case. Oh, um, yeah. all right. But also too, and Matt, you can sort of let me know here, but as I understand, there's kind of a lot of radiation in space, but I don't know if it's the same kind of radiation that I'm thinking of as far as. Well, there's lots of different kinds. Yeah. So, um, so just light coming off of the sun is technically radiation. So photosynthetic organisms would do fine, right? So that would be pretty cool. Um, but then in terms of like um, hard radiation, like neutron radiation and such, um, the sun, again, gives off an enormous amount of that. Uh, and then there's cosmic rays too, which are kind of these mysterious radioactive particles zooming from the depths of space. Um and we're protected by our atmosphere here on the surface of the Earth from all of those sorts of things. So our atmosphere and our magnetic field. Um, so once we're above this, so actually, weirdly, radiogenic organisms probably have a hard time here on the surface of the Earth. But once they got above our atmosphere and our magnetic field, they could really thrive. Yeah. They're like, oh, finally, <laughs> yeah. there's a, a nonstop buffet, right? Um, because the sun is constantly bombarding our planet with, um, uh, with protons and stuff. Uh, so if, um, if there are critters that would enjoy that, then they'd have a great time. Yeah. So this is fascinating. You mentioned Gabby, the, uh, the idea of space, oh, the water cycle, or, you know, it got me thinking that there <laughs> would be one thing we know for sure is basically we're sort of kind of just taking the analogy of the oceans and putting it up and filling space with it, which reminds me, it makes me feel like this would be the kind of, and maybe there are stories like this, the kind of, like a really old science fiction story, you know, where they imagine the idea of basically taking what it was like, like on the sea, for the life of mariners on the sea, and just projecting that into space entirely. With, mm -hmm. you know, with like, as they used to say on the old maps, they would show whales and sea creatures in the mysterious parts of the map that have never been you know, actually discovered yet. Um, space... They would imagine, and, and I, I think space might very well be, in this experiment, full of unbelievably huge <laughs> space creatures, perhaps. But uh, before that, I'm imagining that there's current, there have to be currents of some kind, right? Matt, you were saying, like, it's a fluid. Um, uh, yeah, that's right. So Descartes imagined um, these, uh, um, uh, the, this mysterious fluid, um, moving in uh, whirlpools oh, specifically wow. uh, around the sun. Um, and that's how he explained uh, the orbits ah. of the planets. That is, that the planets are carried around with this fluid. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. I suspect, yeah, um, I suspect in our system, well, I mean, it's um, because now we know that uh, space is a lot more dynamic. Like I was just talking about, the sun is constantly spewing out um hordes of particles with solar flares and such. Um, so that would probably generate some interesting currents and tides yeah. and such. Hmm. So yeah, then we and, definitely, uh, Oh, go ahead, Phil. No, go ahead. So hmm. we definitely have probably then a gravitational currents. So things that are the hmm. orbits of the planets and their moons, but then we definitely have, I think then solar, solar currents, which are maybe more variable 
So I think that's actually kind of a neat one because if I remember Matt in the original one, we thought based on the fact that, you know, light consuming microbes, photosynthetic microbes would be definitely in space and definitely around the sun. But if you have all of this, you know, solar eruptions that are happening and much more currents around the sun than we'd consider before, stuff is kind of getting blasted away from the sun all the time. So all sorts mm-hmm. of organisms might be trying to sort of cluster around it like some biotic yeah. Dyson sphere, but then are getting sort of remixed throughout the entire ecosystem. And immediately in the ocean analogy, what this sort of reminds me of is that um, cold waters actually really tend to be nutrient rich. And a lot of the nutrients come oh. from sort of the mm-hmm. seabed and are swept up and towards the coastlines. Mm. So I think sort of having this this sun that has all of these currents that are coming out towards the outer reaches of the solar system, maybe, you know, towards the sun is that sort of most nutrient rich area. But then, you know, our like deep ocean lonely zones with our space whale Um, analogies and whatever are maybe more of the outer fringes that the further away you get from the sun, the more bin thick zone you get perhaps. Totally. Uh, I, I imagine also if the Earth is orbiting because of currents or uh, whirlpools around the sun, that the Earth might be bobbing like a like a rubber ducky in a bath. You know, Ooh, <laughs> our orbit may not be so one. smooth, right? <laughs> sort of like we could be jostled. There could be parts of the you know parts of the year where the Earth is moving faster or slower. It could move up above and below the ecliptic. You know, as it there's weight. Like okay, another thing that would be in this, there's currents, all right, and then another thing that would be in this space fluid is waves although it wouldn't be we're not on the surface of it so it'd be more like i don't know what like pressure waves or something like you might feel if you were scuba diving or something and maybe you feel Mm -hmm. things um yeah and of course currents you know here on earth like abby was saying do hugely important things of bringing um nutrients from place to place um but also energy right if we think of the um gulf stream bringing hot water from the equator up through um the atlantic that makes whole stretches of northern europe habitable that wouldn't be otherwise so maybe the equivalent out in space is that say jupiter becomes more nutrient rich and more habitable um than it would be um in our universe right so the the jupiter the jovian system is kind of a a frozen wasteland um but maybe if we have currents here um it's a place where life could develop and and hide out yeah yeah or that could could explain why maybe mars used to be like earth and now it's not you know that there Mm -hmm. used to be a gulf stream type thing they used to flow by mars and uh, flow flow around in mars's orbit um so uh a big question here is how how in the world would gravity work? Because it seems to me that this fluid would be inherently wildly unstable given gravity. That over the course of the age of the universe, you know, that essentially it would just do what actual, what our real space universe does, which is condense down into stars and things. Um, is, is it possible that this fluid, how in the world could this fluid stay dispersed and not collapse on itself, right? Um, so fluid dynamics is a huge pain. Um, <laughs> there's kind of no way around it. Um, 
if we're borrowing kind of Descartes' uh, scheme here, then if the universe is genuinely full, um, if you get liquid moving from point A to point B, there must be liquid moving back into point A to kind of fill mm. that gap. So that's why he imagined whirlpools, because there's always fluid kind of floating around right, like right, that. Right. Um, so I think we can probably have fluid coming in from outside uh, the solar system to replace whatever currents are um, are going here. And that then suggests that things could flow from solar system to solar system yes. too. So a, a really patient space whale um, uh, could just ride the currents from Tau Ceti to here. Yeah. Uh, or migration, right? Gavi, we could have, uh, you know, there could easily be a seasonal or whatever the equivalent would be migration of creatures from our solar system to Alpha Centauri and back, you know, oh, we go Absolutely. there, we, we spawn in, in the Andromeda galaxy. That would be a far one, but you know, these are hardy creatures. Um, <coughs> yeah. Here on earth, whales migrate yeah. um, thousands of miles. Uh, help penguins migrate thousands of miles, oh. right? There's penguins that go from the South pole to the Galapagos every oh, year. Wow. Um, so if a little 10 pound penguin can mm-hmm. make it 10,000 miles, yeah. um, I think we can make a space whale that goes from yeah. star to star. I thought you were going to say if, if a 10 pound penguin can make it thousands of miles, what have you done today? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not yeah. much. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, now, we keep saying space whales. And this is yes. my thought that I'm kind of curious about because I do think large organism definitely seems like the kind of thing you'd get in space. Gravity-wise, you're not really getting right. as many sort of limitations that way. With bigger organisms, mm-hmm. some of the, the difficulty is, is, you know, transporting nutrients throughout the whole thing. Uh, pumping enough blood through the whole thing so everything, yeah, it's essentially nutrients, essentially getting all of the the basic requirements Hmm. for life to every single cell in a creature's body. Um, And so for big organisms, at least on Earth, problem is gravity. There's only so high you can go up before you keep needing a bigger and bigger and bigger heart to pump that blood Mm. up. Mm. Um, But plenty of interesting organisms have found not necessarily ways around it, but ways to cope with you know, the extremes of whatever it is they do. Like, I think, for example, horses stop breathing when they gallop because the movement of their own internal organs <laughs> as they're running is doing the same work of pumping their lungs back and really? forth. Oh, I, it's, I did not know yeah, that. That's yeah, crazy. essentially life is weird is, is what I'm saying. So now I'm trying <laughs> to figure out space whales because we're at that point, I think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so I immediately sort of have, if, if these are organisms mar- migrating between multiple star systems, you're probably going to want something with the ability to sort of slow its metabolism. I can't imagine the currents between star systems in that vastness are particularly nutrient-rich, especially if stars mm-hmm. seem to be our nexus of, of nutrients and warmth and energy nice. in these systems. Uh, but, you know, since we keep saying whale, I'm curious about how propulsion is actually working in these Mm. in in this sort of environment so matt i mean my basic understanding is you have to have something to push off of Mm. we move and walk because our muscles are sort of pushing off of our bones and the ground etc and Mm -hmm. swimming things have the 
the water to sort of that's right and then fish have their flippers to to push against the the water um so if our if we've got our space fluid um then at least in principle we can push off against it uh but we've established that it's very low density very thin um so that means that our flippers have to be really big um in order to get enough stuff to push off of um but I'm wondering if maybe instead of the flipper model, we should be doing like an eel um, oh. or a sea snake, right? Where you kind of wriggle through. I don't know enough about that kind of propulsion to, to say. I think it kind of works similarly, but the push off is at essentially in the wiggle itself. Um, okay. As the thing yeah. bends, that's what's pushing down the water. I mean, I'm unhelpfully on a, audio media format I'm trying to demonstrate this with my hands. Um, my next question is then propulsion. Can you eject stuff out the back to go forward? Yeah, that's what I was thinking, jet power. Uh, that's a good idea, like a jellyfish kind or of thing. Or a bombardier beetle. Bombardier beetle. <laughs> what is a bombardier beetle? A bombardier beetle uh, is a, a, a real nasty little guy. There's actually... A fun story of Charles Darwin, I think, attempting to, in typical fashion, the guy like loved bugs and mm -hmm. got really excited, was attempting to collect like two bugs, had a bug in either hand, and then was like, oh my God, here's a third bug that I'm really excited about. And then I think he like put the bombardier <laughs> beetle like in his mouth to try to hold Whoa. it and then got like sprayed. It essentially has a compartment in its body where it combines, I forget what the chemicals are, but essentially it creates a hot acid ejecta that it will shoot at wow. any animal trying to eat it. And I'm imagining that our space whales might do this if this works, Matt. Yeah. No, I think that's a, that's a good idea. So, and, um, yeah, sorry. So you could have them, they, uh, they take the fluid in and then eject it out the back. I'm actually wondering if it might be better if it if they work like a jet engine mm. where you pull your propulsion material in the front, heat it up or speed it up, and then shoot it out yeah. the back. Um, because that way you don't have to stop to, to refuel, right? You just you just pick up more air, as you, more fluid as yeah. you go along. Mm. Um, so if that's the case, then our space whales might want to be shaped like... Um, tubes just long yes. tubes like um pasta <laughs> um, so they're and they're they'd have they'd need to have some mechanism in the middle that accelerates the fluid um but that could be you know like um i don't know, like intestines or or arteries like sort of mechanism? Body, right? yeah squeezy kind of thing right mm -hmm. so they're constantly squeezing as, as squeezing to push themselves forward and then as they go forward they pull in more fluid which they then squeeze to shoot out the back there as was well. a creature like this um, in the original star trek the original series i remember it comes up on the screen at one point it's gigantic and i i don't know i feel like it was it called doomsday or it had some name i remember the doomsday machine yeah. i can't remember if it was a organism or not in um, some episode there yeah, is was, a giant yeah. kind of worm-like membrane thing i remember showing up um alien yeah so i'm thinking giant rigatoni yeah. so maybe space, space rigatoni. Or, and hear me out here yeah they're not okay. space whales they're space squid 
Yeah. Because squid yeah. actually do use essentially jet propulsion. <laughs> exactly oh, yeah. what you're describing. Okay. And they are tubes. So they yeah. do suck calamari. into... Space calamari. Yeah, space yeah. calamari. Yeah. Uh, they, they suck into uh, essentially the mantle cavity, that tube part of a squid, the long part. And then it contracts. They, they flex Whoa. that muscle and just shoot water out the siphon to jet away. Um, so these guys are actually probably pretty fast, are space whales, accidentally? I mean, I don't know how that would work with a yeah. low-density fluid, but... Well, obviously... Um, as long as yeah, as long as you can get enough volume going through, you can get some serious forces yeah. going. Um, so I suspect they might actually scale up very very efficiently. So the, the the space squids will naturally get extremely large, so they can get um, lots of yeah. fluid. Space kraken. We've made space kraken. <laughs> I was even thinking that because the gravity is so low, let's say um, that you know one push and you could go really far. So I was even thinking that they could, uh, it doesn't need to necessarily even be like a jet engine and that it's a continuous uh, breathing in and, and ejecting out back. Um, you know, it could just, could just take a long time breathing in and filling the whole diaphragm or whatever and then just getting one big burst out the back and that'll get you going for a long time. You sort of coast, coast along. Um, yeah, that'd be that'd be good. And I should say this is actually probably an important thing to kind of flag for sci-fi generally yeah. is we we like our mammals. Yeah, right? we like yeah. our um, when actually mammals are a, such a tiny slice of life even here oh, on wow. Earth um, that paying attention to the fact that evolution has come up with so many different strategies for the way life can function Um uh, that paying attention to, to squids. And then also squids are super smart. Yeah, that's what I was right? thinking. Um, there's, um, they, they display lots of really complicated conceptual and social behavior. Um, there's, uh, but, and again, I think because they're not mammals, we have trouble kind of imagining what their minds would be like. And there's a, a wonderful book by a philosopher of science, um, called other minds mm -hmm. um who have you read this guy it's, it's literally like top of my list i've had it on my list since undergrad and it's been a book that I, oh, i've sorry. looked for for a long time yeah okay <laughs> um it's super fascinating um partially because he can't quite figure it out like he spends all this time hanging out with squids and other cephalopods um trying to make sense of whether they are conscious mm -hmm. and if so what their internal life might be like um and it's this struggle that he can't quite grasp um, but i think this at least suggests that our interstellar squids um could themselves be conscious uh and perhaps quite smart and have an advanced civilization yeah. as well yeah well and that's what you know the movie arrival and it's not too much of a spoiler to say the the aliens are squid like uh, in, yeah, in their appearance yeah. um and uh yeah what's fascinating is to think that in a strange way imagine if space if space fluid, if the sky is full of enormous creatures like maybe octopi, octopi and squid and, you know, maybe highly intelligent, highly evolved creatures, whales, that the myths about the gods <laughs> would have some, that, you know, in, that, in this fictional universe, you can imagine that the myths of the gods come from perhaps times where, imagine it when a giant squid accidentally crashed onto earth 
from the sky. Well, I have to say that that sounds kind of Lovecraftian oh. to me. Like when mm. I think of squid-like yeah. gods, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the dark and squid-like that's gods. That's a terrifying yeah. prospect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the Watchmen. I am. Um, yeah. I am mentally curious of. So you know, cephalopods are known for their color-changing abilities. Right. That's right. And mm. the fact that they have control of the pigments in their skin. Yeah. And it would be fascinating for a human observer looking at the stars to attempt to figure out what is a star versus what is a pack of yeah. glowing, <laughs> right. glowing space squids. <laughs> so that, astronomers, that, astro um, there would, astrobiology would take on a whole new meaning because you would have astronomers who are basically, you know, bio, marine biologists in a way of the sky. Well, that's right. I think it would be cool because there's no reason that the squids would particularly be interested in the visual spectrum of our yeah, sun yeah. Um, because they're all over. So I suspect they might do their color changing in like radio frequencies. Ooh, so Matt, we might cool. be totally ignorant of their existence until we invent radio telescopes. Wow. And then suddenly the sky is full wow. of these millions of flashing and blinking gigantic squids. Um, that would be an interesting day. Yeah. That's a great place to stop. Well, go ahead, Gabby. Go ahead. Space exploration. I mean, I know that one of the premises of this original if was what if you could just, you know, go out and swim to Jupiter yeah. in your bathing suit. Yeah. Officially, I would like to say that I think that's a little bit more fraught. If we are yeah. imagining a universe <laughs> full of intelligent cephalopods who have jet propulsion and are probably and not constrained by gravity, right. our ability to swim to Jupiter might be a little derailed here. <laughs> Well, that would be very Although, interesting. You, you know, yeah. Your, your yeah. spaceships would be a little bit more like submarines, and they're not unlike submarines now anyway, You know, because they have to keep the air mm -hmm. in. So I can imagine our craft being quite uh, interesting and spectacular. Not to mention the whole notion of sailing the seas could truly be, you know, we, we have, you know, you have the idea of, um, what do they call them, solar sails. Well, here in this liquid, you really would be, you could sail in some strange way. The current, yeah, but space is going to be full of crazy. Yeah, exactly. Right? You have to so, watch out. Well, so is so is the sea, matey. <laughs> <laughs> I once saw a creature fall from the sky. <laughs> oh wait, that actually does immediately. I, I that kind of suggested something I would have forgot. Yeah. In uh, we're off of space whales, but the concept of a whale fall probably does still exist. Uh, yes. Here. Yes. So when oh. whales die, <laughs> the thing about fluids is that like a, a die a dead whale will generally float for the first hot minute because uh, it's gross sorry corpses bloat <laughs> uh things get filled with gases as they decay um but a lot of marine animals aren't really particularly like well suited to trying to eat that much of a dead whale like it's kind of mm. hard to get at because you've got sharks trying mm. to bite with basically a gigantic water balloon it just mm. kind of moves away it's like bobbing for apples from <laughs> the other side of the water. <laughs> and then eventually those things fall and most of those nutrients aren't really used until it hits the ground. But here things are kind of just like floating in space. And so I'm imagining that, okay, well, one, I'm sure the other krakens will probably take a bite out of whatever dead gigantic kraken. It's just, you know, not even washed up, just now is drifting through the yeah. tidal currents. Um, but now I'm imagining maybe you have this as sort of some nexus for other life that now you have not exactly the skeleton but the oh, yeah. the yeah. corpse framework for other smaller organisms our yeah. you know mi microbes that sort of got blasted off the sun 
are assumably other small life forms that have been flitting about in more local space, not traveling between stars, but maybe bopping between planets or staying around one planet. Uh, so maybe these sort of nucleate their own communities like a, I don't know, like if you've ever seen like a crate bobbing in the ocean and it becomes covered in mussels and algae yeah. and like fish start hanging around it. So maybe we have like little pockets of, of like communities that do sort of like float around here, maybe nucleated by the sort of whale fall of a dead kraken. Um, but like other ways in which sort of like, I don't know, space coral reefs are sort of popping up yep. and floating mm -hmm. around. That's a good way to think about it. Yeah, that, totally, like totally. And then the last thing I was going to say is I, I imagine that um, in a shout out to uh, Avatar, Way of the Water, the mm -hmm. more recent Avatar movie, and uh, and even Dune, um, the story Dune, uh, we could ride these creatures. I mean, that's I think that would be one. We Imagine that we don't even need to build ships, or maybe we do, we still build ships, but we still can dock those ships onto a Kraken and ride it, you know. I think Your generational sh ship is a steering wheel on a Kraken. Yeah. That sounds yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Like yeah. Mm -hmm. A lot easier than building a starship up yeah. your own. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Cool. Um, and then, G Gabby, when you said whale fall, I thought you were going to talk about uh, how in, uh, was it in the Hitchhiker's Guide, at one point, a, a sperm whale <laughs> and a potted plant. Oh, my God. <laughs> towards the earth. And they have a wonderful dialogue. Yeah. The whale has a monologue. Say, oh, no, not yeah. again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, wow. Thank you, uh, Gabby. What a great idea this was. And um, true to form, in fact, you know, we said, well, I thought if we redo an if, it'd be interesting to see. We The fear would be that we just sort of would end up doing it exactly the same. Now, not remembering what the hell we did helped, but uh, I know we totally went off in a completely different direction. So I love this idea of restarting the if you know the if is like uh, or these these ifs are uh, what do you call them uh, emergent they have emergent properties mm -hmm. you never know where they're mm -hmm. gonna go no stuff in life the yeah. tiny thing uh, goes somewhere else um pretty cool uh gabby what's your uh takeaway um so anything for, anything you're going to bring into the lab that may have come from your thoughts today <laughs> I don't know if anything I'm going to bring into the lab, but I'm definitely going to try to find some way to mentally use space squid mm. propulsion for something. Like, that's just like a very fun image that I think we've conjured up here. I think it's like yeah. really cool. Yeah. And the the definite mm -hmm. science fiction writer in me that doesn't often have enough time for science writing science fiction yes. is <laughs> sort of like foaming at the mouth of like, this is cool. This is evocative. But, yeah. but what do mm -hmm. I do with it? <laughs> yep. Yeah. So we'll see if yeah. anything comes of this later. Totally. Matt, how about you? All right. Nice. Um, I will be bringing an actual space squid into my really? classroom. Mm. Amazing. Um, just as soon as, as soon as I can yeah. catch one. Um, <laughs> so I'll be taking sabbatical um, <laughs> and start practicing the harpoon. I am sure NYU will give you a grant for that Re research. Oh, totally. Mm -hmm. No yeah. doubt. No doubt. Mm -hmm. First, it's space crack. And then you would form the Stanley School of Kraken Research. Uh, <laughs> the SSKR. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well done. Well done. Um, Gabby, something you said you had a couple things you'd like to plug this week. Yeah. Um, so one is that I'm. I feel like I mentioned that one of my uh, short stories was published in a magazine called uh, Grim and Gilded. It's a horror story. Um, but recently, they made a podcast and are starting to read through the stories that um, have been accepted in their issues in an audio format. Um, so my uh, piece, Hotel Yig, is the first 
episode in their podcast series. Um, So if you want to check that out, it's through Grim and Gilded Literary Magazine. And then they have links to their podcast episodes from there. uh, It's really cool. Yeah, send me Um, the link and I will put that up. Absolutely. And then number two is not as much of a plug as it is a solicitation for the audience. So I'm considering applying for a specific science communication award. And so they want to highlight communication work done in 2022. Now, I could sit here and listen through all of these podcasts that I did and just hate the sound of my own voice uh, for about an hour at a time. But I I really want to hear from you guys about what episodes you feel like you took something from and you learned something from. Is there an episode that just made something click for you and you're like, oh my God, I've got this now. That's really cool. Or an episode that like you felt like you had to show somebody immediately. Um, Because I think that those are the episodes that might be kind of good for me to, you know, highlight and point out um, for this sort of thing. Um, So if you have one that sort of immediately rings a bell, send it to us, tell us which one it is, and it would be much appreciated. And I'd love to know your thoughts about why that's the one that really resonated with you. Absolutely, yeah. So con- you can con- contact us at, you go to our website, whatthef.com, and you can contact us right there on the uh, there's a little comment box. You can hit send, or uh, you can email us at feedback at whattheif.com. Let us know what you think. Help, help Gabby out. That sounds like super yes, fun. Yes, please. Matt, you were going to plug something. Um, I don't know if I have anything pluggable at the moment. Um, on May 10th, I'm speaking in uh, Pontiac, Michigan. Um, uh, but I think that's the next thing on the menu. I don't know if we have a lot of listeners in Pontiac. Oh, oh so it's, it's not an on- online thing? It okay. is not. It is in person, in the flesh. All right. Fantastic. Um, and if you drive a Pontiac, do you get like a discount? Yeah. That is correct. 10%. 10%. <laughs> yep. And the subject will be, do you know? Uh, Einstein. Fantastic. Einstein in Pontiac. That sounds amazing. May 10th. Uh, look out for that. And um, I can plug um, something that I'm actually recording uh, this afternoon. So I'm recording it Ooh. after recording this show. But uh, I am uh, I'm a guest on a, um, there's a, uh, I'm a documentary filmmaker and there's a kind of global documentary film community called the D Word, <laughs> D Word. <laughs> and uh, it's been around for a very long time. And uh, when the pandemic began, they started having weekly Zoom get-togethers. And uh, typically, there's anywhere from 50 to 100 or 200 uh, people from all around the world. We get together every Friday afternoon, Friday afternoon, uh, Eastern time, and um, talk about you know different subjects that are happening in the documentary world, the film world. Um, because AI is suddenly a huge thing, um, the number of tools which are suddenly become available for filmmakers or anyone who's creative, or really anyone who's anyone, <laughs> the amount of things you can do these days is interesting. And as we all know with AI also, there are tremendous uh, societal implications of this thing. And so I was asked to, because um, I've been nerding out on this for a long time, uh, asked to be a guest to speak about these issues on the D word. And as a testament to how hot this topic is, like I said, usually there's 200 is usually about the most people that uh, re- reserve a spot for this thing. We have 600 people Wow! Already signed up, so it's going to be really fun. It will be on. Um, it'll be posted on YouTube. For, so if you're hearing me in the podcast, uh, go to the D D word D word on YouTube, and you'll see it there on their YouTube channel. I'll have more information on that. Fun, fun with AI. So um, 
Uh, I just want to end here with uh, with a little bit of uh, go go. We're going to the mailbag. Can we do it, gentlemen? Hit me up. The the band was caught totally off guard. I apologize. Yep. I apologize. They're backstage. Yeah. <laughs> wow. The music just totally stopped. Um. Well, so much for that. But imagine the mailbag music. I'll put it in here in post. Uh, we got a, a wonderful note from uh, one of our listeners in the Netherlands. Um, his name is, um, <clears throat> excuse me, his name is, now I'm going to try to pronounce this correctly, Baz Damhui, D-A-M-H-U-I-S. And uh, Baz says, uh, I've been listening to your podcast for a couple of months now, and uh, my preferred on my preferred podcast app called Podbean, I love this format. Show it's sci-fi with sci reality poured in a what if cup. I whiffing love it. <laughs> I see what you did there. Um, please send my regards to Professor Stanley and his daughters. I loved the twins episode as a sort of break of the regular, if there is such a thing as regular in WTIF. They are very sharp and funny. So we're Matt. We're passing along those compliments to the whole Stanley clan. All right, I'll pass that along. Uh, keep up the awesome podcasts. And he says, what the thanks? And then mm -hmm. uh, Boz uh, um, submitted an idea for an if, which we'll be taking up uh, in, a, in one of the weeks coming up. So we look forward to that. So thank you, Boz, uh, in the Netherlands. Cheers to you. And um, uh, cheers to all of you who are listening. If you've uh, been listening for a long time and you never wrote in, do let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Feedback at whattheif.com. Uh, and uh, lastly, a uh, shout out... Um, to our Patreon listeners, if you're a Patreon member, um, you know who you are. You're a super iffer, by golly. And because uh, you're a Patreon listener, you get the exclusive bonus content, the extended episodes. Only Patreon members get that, and it really doesn't cost that much to join. We have uh, all kinds of levels uh, starting at $1. So check them out, patreon.com slash whattheif, all kinds of cool merch. And I think the best uh, benefit is all these extended episodes. We have tons of them there. Uh, many, many, many hours of additional content that you can only get by becoming a member. So thank you all for that. Uh, Matt, will you, let's see, will the ending music come on? We don't even know. Ah, we'll have to do it in post. But what do we do here at the end? What's the closing ceremony? Uh, the closing ceremony is when we are forced to confront this new world that we have created for ourselves and everyone else who lives there. Um, uh, and usually in the a moment of existential horror, uh, we are forced to shout the name of the show uh, quite slowly. So I'd imagine in this particular scenario, um, we find that not only is space full of gigantic squids that are broadcasting radio waves, um, but because of the low gravity, they can actually be tens of thousands of miles long, and they're actually wide enough to swallow the Earth. Um, so as we see one of them slowly moving towards us, getting ready to swallow the Earth in the fashion of the Elder Gods, we have no choice but to shout, What? Thank you all for listening. Thank you for all one million of you who have been listening, or some of you have been listening more than once, and thank you for that, for getting us to one million <laughs> plays uh, in the lifetime of What the If. Many, many more to come. Stay tuned. We'll see you next week. 